0: I'm going to read 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. I know we've read this portion two Sundays previously, but we're going to read it uh, again today. 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting at verse 6 through verse 11. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Let's pray. Father, again we come to you and ask for hearing ears, understanding minds, for you to speak to us, as each of us can hear, say what we each need to hear. I pray this in Christ's name, amen. Verse 7 is... The one statement that we'll spend the most time on today. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. Some might say that's a profound statement. Some might say, well, it's pretty obvious. I suppose it depends where you were born and uh, what era of time you lived in. As to whether or not you believed you could take anything out of it great pyramids were built because people believed they could take things out of this world and uh, items have been buried with folks on the belief that they would need those things in the next life so this isn't necessarily a universally held truth or at least it hasn't been we have brought nothing into the world so we cannot take anything out of it either I hope today that we would see this as more than just a statement, but that we would grasp a significance from it that would help us live our lives day by day. This is not the only place in Scripture that addresses the fact that we come into this world with nothing, and we leave with nothing, which means there is probably more to this statement than a first or second reading reveals so to help us look further i want to bring four other scriptures to your attention and in doing that hope to give you a clearer picture of what god is conveying here in first timothy chapter six we're going to start with job chapter one verses 13 through 21 In a short span of time, Job was told, I'm not going to read that section, I'm going to give you the uh, David Bain paraphrase. In a short span of time, Job was told, one, that the Sabaeans had taken his oxen and donkeys and killed his farm workers. Two, that fire had come from heaven, killing his sheep and the servants who cared for them. Three, that the Chaldeans had raided his camels and killed the servants who cared for them. And four, that his children were at their oldest brother's house when a great wind caused the house to collapse, killing all of them. In response, Job stood up, tore his robe, shaved his head, Then fell to the ground and worshiped God, saying, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I don't know if that would have been your response or my response. Those are pretty traumatic pieces of information. And as I said, it took place in a very short amount of time, according to the story. However, Job's response points to the mindset and the humility that is required to remain content with what God is or isn't doing. Especially when you are uh, facing, or a loved one is facing, Something that is very costly or painful or means you have to endure some pretty severe hardship. So I want you to notice that the first thing Job does is acknowledge that it is not he himself or his plight that matters most, but God who matters most. We talk about God as being the supreme being. But we use that language as if he were the supreme being out there and not in here. All you have to do is open your dictionary and look up the word supreme and then being and you get the idea that God is above, over, the most important, the everything being in the universe. And yes, we can acknowledge that, but it isn't until we hold that to be true inside of us that he is my supreme being or your supreme being. And we discover whether God is our supreme being or not by how we react to difficult situations, things that we would rather not have happened to us. The first thing Job does is acknowledge God matters most, not he himself or his plight. The second thing Job does is he goes on to acknowledge that he came into life with nothing. He can't take anything with him when he leaves. And what he has or what he doesn't have is God's doing, not his. Again, Every year in our country, we celebrate Thanksgiving. And this is a time to acknowledge all that God has done. Do I acknowledge that in December, in January, in February, in March, August, September? Is he the God that does everything for me? Is he the God who gives me everything I have? Do I acknowledge to God That everything I have, every good and perfect gift, comes from him. Even the good things that have happened to me, that have come out of my own sinfulness, those good things I attribute to God. Who do you attribute them to? The last thing Job does is he acknowledges that God is good. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God is good. Imagine hearing this information. Your livelihood has been stripped away. Your children have died. Not just one or two, but all of them. God is good. The reality is the things of this world are of no value By comparison, please hear those two words, by comparison. They're of no value by comparison to a humble, intimate, and secure relationship with God. Do you think that's true? Is that true when life is at its worst? I believe it is. You see, true safety, true security, true well-being does not come from anything in this world. It comes from God himself. It is not wrapped up in riches or possessions or systems such as insurance or governments. It's wrapped up in God himself. And Job understood that. He had a lot to lose. He lost a lot but he understood that the things that really matter, true security, true well-being, are wrapped up in an intimate, secure, humble relationship with God. He's the one who holds all those things. Remember, he's the supreme being. And so the mindset and the humility that we need to develop in order to acquire godly contentment as given us here in Job chapter 1. It's built on the fact that one, God is supreme and not us. Two, the God is perfectly good and seeks the good of all. Not just me at others' expense, but he seeks the good of all. While we tend to be selfish, self-seeking, And third, that God owes us nothing while we owe God everything. The second scripture I want to call our attention to is also in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 10 through 16. And the writer of Ecclesiastes is commenting on the folly of wanting to be rich. And here's what he says. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity, emptiness. He went on to say that a rich person comes into this world naked and he leaves it in the same condition. Then he says,
1: he, that is
0: a rich person, will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. Now imagine a rich person. So when I I suggest you imagine a rich person, who do you think of? Somebody outside this room? How about yourself? We're rich. No, we're not as rich as Bill Gates or Zuckerberg or people like that who have billions. But we are rich. So think of the things you have. Think of the amenities. The uh, trinkets, the toys. The things that give you power. That help you connect with people. That make your life easier. Which of those things would you like to take with you into the next life? The reality is we can take nothing with us. We came empty-handed, we leave empty-handed. We came naked, we leave naked. We came with nothing, we leave with nothing. And finally, the writer of Ecclesiastes says this, This is also a grievous evil. Exactly as a man is born, thus he will die. So what is the advantage to him who toils for the wind? Remember, we're looking at this portion of Scripture to understand the mindset, the values, the attitudes that we need to have as followers of Jesus Christ to have genuinely godly contentment. To toil for the wind is to toil for what is fleeting or temporary. It's to toil for what is here today and gone tomorrow. And according to this context, There are two major problems with things that are fleeting or temporary. First, whatever contentment gained from them is also fleeting or temporary. You have to experience it over and over and over again to experience its benefits. It's not a benefit that lasts. You see, when you have God inside of you, and you are enjoying fellowship with God, that is a benefit that has no end until you end it. It doesn't end on its own. We have to end it. We have to turn away from Him. We have to shut Him off. We have to push Him aside. Do you understand the difference? A good meal is a good meal, but once it's eaten and digested, it's over, it's gone, it's forgotten. I I believe I've used this before, but I've played tennis for many years, and winning a major tournament is a huge, exciting, thrilling experience. I'm sure of it. Never have done it. But the next day, what is it? It's over. You have to win another one. You don't have those feelings forever. You don't have that euphoria. You don't have that great experience forever. It's there and then it's gone. This is the problem with the things that are fleeting or temporary. And second, you cannot take it with you when you die. Anything that is fleeting or temporary is fleeting or temporary. It doesn't last forever. It's no good in the life to come. It's only good for this life. You see, only what lasts forever can satisfy forever. Think about that. Only what lasts forever can satisfy forever. And among the things that last forever, with the power to satisfy forever, is God himself. And fellowship with God. And the provision and protection of God. And the kingdom of God. Those are some of the things that last forever and satisfy forever and so the mindset required for contentment as promoted here in Ecclesiastes 5 is that though earthly gains may satisfy for a time they can never be the basis for godly contentment and so it is futile to seek contentment from the things in and of this world True contentment is only found in God himself. The third scripture comes also from the Old Testament. Earlier on, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 11 to 17. Well, Deuteronomy chapter 8, starting at verse 11, and I'm going to again just explain this portion, not read it. Before they entered the promised land, God gave this following warning to the Israelites. And he said, beware that you do not forget the Lord your God. And their forgetting the Lord their God would become evident by them not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes. So when they began to live contrary to the ways of God and what God said they were to do, that was an indication they were forgetting the Lord their God. And he warned them, he said, look, When you go into the promised land, beware. Beware that you don't forget me. And then he went on to explain how this could happen. When you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, saying in your heart, My power and the strength of my hand made me this well. I don't think any of us in this room would ever say those words. But might we have that attitude? Might we have that attitude as revealed only by not daily acknowledging to God that what we have, he has given to us. Is that on our mind? Is that part of our thinking? Is that part of our view of life? You see, God is warning us through the scripture that the quest to gain contentment from worldly riches and possessions leads to pride, And pride is the enemy of God and godliness and godly contentment. It's a killer. Beware. So we're not going into the promised land but we happen to live in it, don't we? This is a promised land for most of the world. When I was in uh, Michigan State, we had a uh, fell on the floor who was from Kuwait. And I didn't know it at the time. I just thought I was a a U.S. citizen, white Anglo-Saxon, and of course we were the richest and most powerful nation in the world. But he pointed out that uh, the per capita income was higher in Kuwait than it was in the U.S. So I had to look it up, and of course he was right. At that time, this was in uh, '68. per capita income was $10,000 per person. That means men, women, and children. That's a lot of money back then. Yeah, we didn't even come close to that in the U.S., and yet look what we enjoy. Are we aware of how easily this wealth can get us to think that we've done something, that we've accomplished something? Look at my house, look at my car, look at my clothes, look at my toys. Look at this, look at that. On one level, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. That can be a real blessing in our lives. But who do we see as the provider? Who do we see as the one who protects what we have? I don't think any of us can know true humility in relation to God being our provider and protector until we actually think and live as those who are depending on God himself to be our provider and protector not just say the words not in word only but in reality one of the things that uh, you know that Barb and I have chosen to do is live on less it is one of the outcomes of that choice has been to recognize which was the purpose early on one of the purposes is to recognize that God truly is our provider and protector somehow he makes it last he makes it go far enough he meets the needs you can't buy that kind of confidence in God, you can't Go out and find it just any place. But it is worth having. The last scripture is found in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. Jesus gave this advice about dependable and lasting financial security. Imagine that. Advice about dependable and lasting financial security. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, for moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, for neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is not just about where your heart is. This is about where your heart is in relation to financial security. What do we look to for financial security? The mindset that Jesus is promoting is a mindset built on what we value as revealed by what we treasure in relation to financial security. For example, do you treasure financial security because of the safe, contented feelings it provides? When you look into possible needs that you may have in the future, does your financial security give you a sense of comfort, a sense of contentment, a sense of assurance that you're going to be okay? Isn't that why we buy insurance? It provides that, that, that sense of comfort for us. But on the other side of that is the opportunity to treasure the worry-free contentment that comes from feeling secure because you are seeking first, not exclusively, seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness. You see, that's the financial security Christ is introducing into our lives. it comes in a statement that we all know well Matthew 6:33 and the two primary problems with earthly financial security we've already talked about in part one it pulls you into a relationship with the world that stands in the way and works against your relationship with God You may not even notice how it does that. It may not even be on your mind that it does that. But it does. Earthly financial security. Now, should you have a savings? I'm not trying to talk you out of your savings. I'm not suggesting you should cash in your IRAs. You need to work all this out with God with what you're going to do. But where is your mind? Where is your heart? Do you realize that those things are are temporary? Back in the 80s, there was a huge movement amongst the retirees to put money into uh, not savings accounts, but the the time certificates, CDs. Why? Because it was paying 15% interest. They could live on that. They had found heaven on earth. And... People pulled their money out of many things and put it into CDs back in the 80s, only to find out in the 90s that it didn't last. And now the interest was so low, they couldn't even get by for a short time on what they had. At the moment, it didn't seem fleeting. At the moment, it seemed secure. And yes, for the moment, it was. If you've lived long enough, then you might be able to realize that financial security on the earthly perspective is not as secure as people would like us to believe. It pulls us into a relationship with the world that stands in the way of our relationship with God and though it can seem permanent financial security from the earthly perspective is indeed fleeting it's not as dependable as we might like it to be so how does where your heart is fit into this well your heart is fixed on what you value What you value is what you treasure. What you treasure the most, you look to the most for security, for well-being, for happiness, for fulfillment and for contentment. If you treasure anything more than you treasure God, you will look there rather than to God to satisfy your desires and to give you a sense of contentment. This is true, I know it without any question. I have lived it. One of the things that God said very clear to me one morning when I was rolling the courts at the tennis place is that I had idols in my life that I treasured more than God himself and it was true. Have you considered that? Yes, if I treasure anything more than I treasure God, and I was, then I will look, and I did. I looked to those things rather than God to satisfy my desires and give me a true sense of contentment. This brings us back to verse 7. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. Whatever is gained from the physical realm stays on earth. It stays here when we die. It is temporary, and though it may be useful for our life here, it cannot bring godly contentment into our life, and it cannot do us any good in the next life. So I'm urging you to consider that coming into the world with nothing and leaving with nothing at least at least implies that the greatest gift of all is the gift of life itself. Why? Because the gift of life means that we get to know God. And it means that we can enter into fellowship with God. And it means that we can spend eternity with God. Regardless of what you have or don't have in this life, just to be born opens that door. Is there a greater gift? And when you pass from this life into the next, there are only two things that you can take with you. One is yourself. And the other is the quality of your relationship with God. Verse 8. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. And the essential message here is about what we need as represented by food and covering. And by the way, the word covering there not just applies to clothes, but also to shelter, food, shelter, and clothing. I do want to point out here that what we need is not a universally fixed entity. In other words, small-town country life is different from big city life. Farming is different from factory work. Desert conditions are different from rain forest conditions. Life along the equator is different from life where Mes- Eskimos live. In this city... Because it's a car city, metro area. We don't have good transportation. You have to have a vehicle just to get around. Car companies made sure of that. That was a a gift to all of us. Go to Chicago, New York City, other places. It's a lot easier to get around, but not here. So though we may think about who needs what, it's realistic that we probably need at least a car for transportation. My only point is, is that we could spend a few hours debating what we need. (laughs) My recommendation is just be realistic and flexible about it. You may decide you need something that somebody else says they don't need, and that's fine. Does it make you better, them worse? Or them better and you worse? The question is, is it a true need? Do I really need these things? And if I need them, fine. Get them. Use them. Enjoy them. But let's be content with what we need because that saves us a lot of troubles. I want to end today with two scriptures related to contentment. <clears throat> the first one is from Luke chapter 3, starting at verse 11, and this is in response to those coming to be baptized, and this these are the words of John the Baptist. So John said to those who were coming to be baptized, the man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And he who has food is to do likewise. Can you do that with a good heart? Can you do that believing that God's your provider and protector? When Jesus was at the temple with his disciples, he observed people putting money in the offering box, and he noticed that a a lady came by and dropped in, Two pennies, and he pointed out that she gave more than anyone. How so? How could two pennies be more than the hundred dollar bill or the thousand dollar check or the. But it was. Why? Because she gave all that she had. Why would she use that? I don't know for certain, but my belief is she understood a truth that we are all wise to understand, and that is that God was her provider not her money and she could put in her last two pennies from a good heart wanting to help others believing that god would take care of her seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you and some tax collectors also came to be baptized and they said to him teacher what shall we do And John said to them, collect no more than what you have been ordered to. Be content with what you were told to collect. Yes. Don't be greedy. Don't want what other people have. Be content with what you have. Some soldiers were questioning him saying, and what about us? What shall we do? And John said to them, do not take money from anyone by force stop stealing or accuse anyone falsely don't use your power to harm others and be content with your wages the last scripture comes from Romans chapter 8 I'm not going to read all the verses but I'm going to read several of them along the way picking and choosing the ones that uh, help us get the point most directly Starting at verse 31. If God is for us, who can successfully stand against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also, with his own Son, freely give us all things? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. All of these things are things that seem to indicate God is absent or doesn't care. How could they happen to us? And so he asks the question, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will any of these things do that? The answer is no. Rather, in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer to him who loved us. We come out victorious, not losers. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes, this is a way of life, but it is first and foremost a mindset. It's an attitude. It's a value system. And it requires humility. So my question to you is, are you trusting God to be your primary source of security, well-being, provision, protection, and love. Are you grateful for what you have, regardless of what you don't have? Barb and I, due to her gracious sharing, enjoyed COVID in this past (laughs) days. And I can gratefully say It helped me lose another five pounds. Can I see God's goodness in spite of what doesn't seem to be so good? Will I look for that? Will I even have the mind to consider that? My last question is, do you humbly acknowledge that what you have, you have because of God's goodness?